Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 17th of July, 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong loves a bit of drama. Whether real or artificial, we love watching events unfold before us. We watch everything from impromptu street theater like Bus Uncle or women shoving lobsters into their suitcases on the MTR to the real-life drama of the recent and ongoing political situation in our beloved city. We join in dramatic city festivals with 67-foot dragons that are lit on fire and run through the streets, or where mountains of sweet red bean buns are scaled by the more adventurous who live among us. We even love Cantonese opera with its fantastic headpieces and distinctive singing. And today, we have drama aplenty in our stories. First, Roshni tells us about her Hong Kong acting career. And then, Ross tells us about his experience treading the boards. Before we get to today's stories, though, we would really like to thank our kind and generous fellow Hong Kongers. Your support means a lot to us. Thanks for listening goes out this week, too, to listeners in Malmo in Sweden, Tula Marine in Australia, and Makkah in Saudi Arabia. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our next live show has a theme belonging and will be performed live on Wednesday, July 24th at the Fringe Club. I'm privileged to be hosting the show this month and I'm absolutely loving what the storytellers are going to bring to our stage next Wednesday. If you want to hear their amazing stories fresh and firsthand, go to hongkongstories.com and get yourself a ticket before they're all sold out. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now from our 2019 February show with the theme of Direction Unknown. Here is Roshni. Take one. Lights. Camera. Action. I walk into the frame. I cock my gun. I smile. Cut, cut, cut. Roshni, the director says. You're not supposed to smile, la. What? Let me take you back where it all started. I'm an actress from India. I know you already thought about Bollywood, and maybe you're expecting some dance move, but no, I'm not going to do that. A Bollywood is like a big budget film. Sets more beautiful than Taj Mahal. Elaborate costumes and funky dance moves, which may cost you a hip replacement. And you were less familiar with the television industry of India. That's called the Tellywood. It's Bollywood's lean, mean cousin. Uh, it's like a kiosk factory. And most of the time, you get the script 30 minutes before the shoot, and sometimes radically change at the end minute, and you can't even argue. Uh, and the actors, they are not supposed to act. They're told how to act. Yeah. But, and, I mean, put together everything, I feel, I mean, of course, I work in Tellywood, by the way. Uh, I struggled, what, for five years? Yeah, five years. 
But I mean, okay, I did this character, okay? So uh, I don't know in Hindi, in Hindi it's called the Kheri Kuch Rishte Khatte Meethe. And uh, I played in the soap opera. And it was like, um, I played a daughter-in-law's role. And uh, I was known as the Lali Lipstick, which in English it's called the Red Lipstick Girl. And the character became very popular. I was very known, and the news outlets across India, they called me for interviews, and random people recognized me on road. I used to get free gifts, free stuff, and uh, this really boosted my self-belief, like, you know? But it always itched me, if I could work somewhere, something bigger, better, like maybe Netflix series or <laughs> movies. I mean, imagine where your director just let you be, explore the artist in you, where uh, you can you know, work on your uh, acting skills by creating a character, and where, I mean, there's nobody disturbs you, basically, you know? Yeah, but yeah. Then you earn too much money and fame, then who wants to be Daniel Day-Lewis in real life? Forget it. So here my career grew, and here in my life, love life also, yeah, it also took off. And marriage brought me to Hong Kong. So I have to come to Hong Kong. And after finding my footing there in Tollywood world, it was hard for me to leave India. But I assured myself, that I'm good enough to start in a new land, in a new country. It is okay. So here I am in Hong Kong, starting all over again. I feel a little lost. I don't speak Chinese. I am four sizes bigger than the woman out here. I don't have any contacts in the industry, film or the television industry. So this reminds me of my struggling acting days. But it's okay. I am professional. Been there, done that, and I can do this again. So, yeah, I'm in Hong Kong, and what, it's been now one and a half year in Hong Kong with no work. And I was relaxing in this vacation in Maldives, and suddenly on my Facebook pops up. What? What do I see? I see there's an audition happening in Hong Kong for an English language short film. <gasps> oh my God, I got so excited about it. The best part of was that the audition is the day I arrived back in Hong Kong. Yes, I could do that. I could go for it. And I get into, I dress up in one of my favorite wrap dress, despite of my jet lag. I'm not at my best, but my spirit is strong. So my turn comes, and here I am in the audition room. The woman who's giving me cues is clearly new. Like she's giving this emotionless cues, as if she's reading some newspaper. Uh, the gun is there, but how can you kill me? Oh my god, who does that? Anyway, she did that. But I didn't let it affect my performance. I was fine, I was fine. Because, I mean, this year's in Hollywood, I know how to roll with the punches, so I was very good at it. Anyway. So, yeah, I'm in this audition room. I auditioned for the main character. Then this, my, I could see my director and the crew's face. They look very happy with me, and I could figure that out. They gave me one more character, one more scene to act. <gasps> Nobody is stayed so long to the audition. That means they can't get enough of me. I was super happy. <laughs> so then after a week or so, I get this call from, uh, from a random number. I don't recognize the number, but... I do recognize the voice. It's the same woman who gave me that emotionless cues at the audition. Hello, Roshini? 
we uh, liked your audition. It was great, but you weren't quite right for the existing part. Uh, but we liked you, so we are going to create a specifically character for you. <gasps> oh my God! <laughs> she she liked me. She's my new favorite person. <laughs> I was so excited. I did it. I made it. I am just not an Indian actress. I am an international actress. I am super hit. Oh, yes, I am professional. I was really excited. Then I got the script on email. I read it. And I was like, wow. And I read and I read. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, my part is very, very very small, small as my Hong Kong apartment. I mean, they can't do this to me, right? I mean, if they really like me, why? Why would they do this to me? Will you do that? No, no, but why? But it's okay, Roshni. I mean, you're professional. Yeah, and I've started Tellywood like a small time thing. I can start here also. And hello, it's a film. What am I thinking? Yes, I can do this. So, the, yeah, I read the script over and over again. I barely have any lines, but still, my thing is very strong. And I decide that I will create a backstory for this character. I will get this character to life. I will make this character the biggest min minor character Hong Kong has ever seen. <laughs> so, so I go through the script. The script is very simple. I'm in the film script. It's like simple but complicated. Like there are friends who turn on each other. There's drugs, murder plan, and blah, blah, a lot of things happening. So yeah. So to develop my, this, my scene, to develop my scene in this, on the screen, so what can I do? What, how can I get my character alive? I decide to develop an internal monologue for the so-called a friend, OK? She's no friend. You're full of shit. You always made fun of me. I swear, one day I will get back at you. So this is my internal monologue, which is happening. <laughs> OK? I go to, uh, finally, I arrive. This is the film set. OK, we are in the jungle. Actually, it's not the jungle. It's typo, but compared. <laughs> But compared with my indoor Hollywood studio, it is the jungle, OK? It's 11 o'clock in the night. It's cold. And I am taking long deep breaths like the right now, how I'm doing, so, so that I can calm myself down. This is it. This is what I wanted, actually. This is why I wanted to get away from Hollywood. Wow. This is my break. This is my big break in a Hollywood film. I mean, Hong Kong film. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, this is the day. So anyway, the scene starts. The dead body is lying of that so-called friend. Uh, and the scene starts. Take one. Lights. Camera. Action. I walk into the frame. My inner monologue. You are no friend. You're full of shit. You always made fun of me. I swear one day I will get back at you. I cock my gun. I smile. Cut, cut, cut. Roshani, you're not supposed to smile, la. You're supposed to be worried. What? Oh my god. My backstory, my inner monologue, everything is wrong? Oh my god. 
and everyone looks tired. They are shooting since morning. And this, this woman, who's my new favorite woman, who gave me the emotionless cue, she glares at me as if I don't know what I've done. Oh my God, I have screwed my big break now. What do I do? Oh my God, I need to turn this commotion around. I, I don't know, what can I do? Think, Roshni, think you're professional. And suddenly, my mind switches into the Tellywood side of the world and this internal monologue simply changes because of your drinking problem. You lost this friend forever. I go take the position. Take two, lights, camera, action. Because of your drinking problem, lost your friend forever. I am professional. <laughs> Rashni is a professional and very easy to work with. Even though she's quite famous already, she started off on our stage the same way as everyone else, at one of our free weekly workshops. At these workshops, we guide you through the process of building your story, from a rough draft or concept all the way to stage ready. You can find out more on the website hongkongstories.com. You never know. You could also end up being the biggest minor character in Hong Kong. Our second story today was first told in 2017 with his account of treading the boards. Here's Ross. Fresh faces. Fresh faces, said the newspaper advertisement. We need fresh faces to act in our new play. Come along to our auditions this week and try your hand. We're selecting actors. The advertising was from an amateur theatre group in West London where I lived at the time. I was a 35-year-old freelance writer, just married, struggling to pay off the mortgage on our new house. I didn't really have much time for hobbies, but I liked the sound of this. Actually, though, I had never acted in my life, never even been in a school play. I got the idea the teachers didn't like me much. I was an argumentative young boy, uh, didn't really support the royal family or the British Commonwealth or anything like that. They probably didn't want an eccentric, uh, radical sort of fella in their nice school plays, I thought. But deep inside, deep inside, there was another reason why I had never been on the stage. I was chicken. I was scared. I was scared that I would end up speechless and die of humiliation. So uh, at any rate, I was young and thought I, I was ready for a new challenge. I thought I'd go along anyway and, and get a little part. Maybe they'd give me a small part. I'd walk on the stage with a tray and say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Would anyone like a slice of fruit, uh, fruit cake with their drink tonight? Something like that anyway. Well, I, I, when, I got to the, uh, when I got to the audition, the director, a very large and impatient looking man, was choosing actors for a play called Lord Arthur Savile's Crime. And this was a pretty little story about a rather silly aristocrat who was told by a fortune teller that he simply must kill his auntie Clementina with a bomb in order to get his inheritance and marry his true love. Nice, nice story, I must admit. Well, uh, 
Mr. Milburn, Mr. Milburn, sit down there and read that script, if you please. So I sat down and complied with him. I, I tried to read it in a kind of pompous voice just to show I was acting, you know. And after a few minutes, when I finished, he, uh, he consulted his colleagues and turned around and said, well, Ross, you know, I think we can offer you a part. We think you'd be perfect to play Lord Arthur Saville himself. And I said, Lord Saville would be on stage for three hours, of course, and have thousands and thousands of lines. It was laughable. No, 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 no. I said, you don't understand. I'm a beginner. I can't possibly remember all those lines. Ross, said the director putting his hand on my shoulder. He said, you've got six months to learn the lines. It'll be easy, old fellow, easy. I said, uh, but this Lord Savile, he's, he's, he's a superstitious, dastardly murderer. I know nothing of such things. He said, Ross, you're a little bit argumentative, a little bit radical, eccentric, if I may say so, if I may be so bold. He said, you'll be perfect. You're born for this role, lad. Resistance was futile. I wandered home in a daze. Hello, dear. Hello, darling, I said to my wife. I said, I'm in a play. And she said, oh, yes, dear. What play is that? I said, well, it's about this fellow, and he gets a bomb, and, um, well, actually, I, I can't quite remember the name of the play. She said, Ross. She said, Ross, you're so absent-minded. How will you ever learn the lines? It was like a dagger in my heart. Every time I thought of acting Lord Saville, I panicked. I died inside. I, I really, I'd be letting down the whole cast now. It would pretty well be the end of my life as a human being. What could I do? What, 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 what could I do to, to, to respond to this new challenge? I thought a little while, and then I, suddenly I had a brainwave. I went into the lounge and put my shoulder against the piano. I pushed it across the carpet. There, the piano's there. Then I picked up the coffee table. Coffee table goes over there. Darling, give me a hand with this sofa, will you? We picked up the sofa and shoved it in the middle, right in the middle of the lounge, with a big cushion there where my Aunt Clementina would sit, and under her bottom would be the cushion, and then under the cushion would be the bomb. <laughs> then I went to the cupboard and got out my trusty cassette recorders. Now, you probably don't know what that is, but a cassette recorder, <laughs> no, before they had smartphones when you were a young child, we had cassette recorders, and I sat down for three hours and read for the whole play, and I put all the other parts on, but I left little gaps for where I would, I would speak the part of Lord Saville. There's my only hope now. And, ladies and gentlemen, every night after I came from, from work, I'd gulp down my dinner, gulp down my dinner, give my wife a hug, and disappear into the lounge, turn on the cassette recorder, and try to turn into Lord Saville. Good evening, Jeeves. Did you, did you enjoy my piano playing, old chap? Uh, um, uh, no, uh, it was rubbish as usual, my lord. Well, shall I fetch your hot chocolate now, your lordship? And so on. Well, uh, you may laugh, ladies and gentlemen, but as I wandered around the lounge, I was pursued by a giant shadow, the shadow of my fear, the fear that I would be speechless on stage. I would be, I would be emotionally castrated and unable to perform for the rest of my life. It was horrible. Well, anyway, as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, actually I found something strange happening in my subconscious mind. 
as I knocked around the, the lounge and knocked my shins on the coffee table and bumped into the piano and hear these droning voices, my subconscious was busy at work making little associations. You know, I think the memory experts, the memory experts call it mnemonics. Mnemonics, but don't bother to look that up in a dictionary. It's very hard to spell. <laughs> well, as the... Uh, as the uh, night of the performance approached, we began, uh, we, be oh, and we began doing our rehearsals, rehearsals. And I had to get a double-breasted jacket because the play took, it was set in the Edwardian period at the beginning of the 20th century. And I had to grow my sideburns long like Mr. Elvis Presley. I had a rather serious modern um, spectacles on at the time. Ross, said the director, would you please throw away those spectacles, lad? So I threw them away. And then I couldn't see my way around the stage. It was a problem. So I got contact lenses. And that was even worse. I was staggering like the, the hunchback of Notre Dame or something. Ross, said the director, Ross, hold that expression. You got it, lad. Eccentric, radical. You've got it by Jove. Well... Anyway, after that, I was fairly word perfect. And uh, on the opening night, which is a Friday, the first of three nights on a Friday, the, um, the, the audience filed in and my family came in the front row, all carrying their little baskets of rotten tomatoes and bad eggs, figuratively speaking. And, uh, uh, well, uh, the, the curtains opened and we started our part and everything went smoothly right till the end. And we got uh, a pretty good applause, quite a relief. Saturday, the second night, same thing again. Boy, oh boy, was I, I, I was getting, my heart was lifting up a little bit at this point in time. Oh dear God, one more night and this terrible, terrible fear will be a thing of the past. Well, on the, uh, on the third night, we started pretty well, but there was one little incident. I was, I was standing next to the sofa conversing with my Aunt Clementina and um, uh, at the critical moment, of course, uh, she gets up and leaves the room, thus saving her life, getting, saving herself being blown to mincemeat. And uh, there's nothing I can do except wait for the pathetic little pop as the bomb goes off. But no, bang! A huge sheet, a huge sheet of orange flame came up. My hair caught fire. A lady rushed on the stage with a fire extinguisher. The auditorium began filling with smoke. My heart sank as I realized my dreams of stardom are shattered by this terrible disaster. Ah, but you know, the worst thing of all, ladies and gentlemen, the worst thing of all, unbelievably, the audience exploded too. They exploded with laughter. You, a naff lot, if you ask me. Nothing, nothing as cultured as yourselves. A naff lot. I couldn't, they were rolling in the aisles in paroxysms of laughter. They actually thought this was meant to be the play. Astounding. In fact, of course, the people in the backstage that had been packing the bomb with explosives thought they would pay a nice little prank on me. They were probably drunk out of their bloody minds, quite honestly. Turned it into a dangerous weapon. However, after a time, as the smoke cleared, we realized I put my hair, I put the flames out of my hair. A pretty good expert at being a fireman. And um, we realized nobody was particularly injured. We remember the old maxim of actors. The great tradition, the show must go on. 
And so we just kept speaking our parts and we struggled through to the end of the play to get that. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.